So this morning, um, as we think about, as we prepare to bring some families up here and, and ultimately dedicate these families and these kids to the Lord, I want to spend just a couple minutes talking about wh- what does it look like to disciple the next generation? What does it look like to invest the gospel in the next generation? I mean, as I was thinking about that last song we were singing, um, the picture of like the presence of God and how amazing God is. Um, I think that if, if as the people of God we would just get a grip of how incredible God is, then we would be all the more closer to discipling the next generation well. Um, but so often we get bored with God, we just come to church, we just kind of do life and do the religious thing, and we lose sight of how incredible God is. And then we just give our kids and the next generation just some, some stuff, because, the, you know, this is just what a Christian is and does. Void of this is who God is. And so, um, so let's talk about that this morning. If you have a Bible, I want you to go to Second Timothy. I want to cover two verses this morning, Second Timothy chapter 2. Second um, Timothy, just a little background, is written by the Apostle Paul to uh, his child in the faith, Timothy. Um, and here's what it says. It says, uh, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, so, the flow of this book and this chapter is in the beginning of chapter 1, because the beginning of the verse, it says, you then. So, we probably should think about what's before it, just so we can get the context. So, um, in chapter 1, we see Paul writing to Timothy and really highlighting, here's who God has been in your family, and here's what salvation is. Here's the greatness of what God's offered, the grace of God And now that you have the grace of God, understand the grace of God, actually the way you continue to grow is by the grace of God. Okay, so he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. That's really what I want to spend the bulk of our time, and we'll spend just a couple minutes um, towards the end talking about that second verse. Um, I think that if, if we understand the gospel rightly and we understand Jesus rightly, what's at the center of it all is the word grace. Um, and I think that, I don't think, this verse teaches us that if we're going to disciple the next generation well, we've got to give them grace. That's what it says, right? Be strengthened by grace. What is grace? Anybody? Well, I'm glad you're here because we're going to spend some time and you're going to all know when you go out the door what grace is. Getting what you don't deserve. Bam. (laughs) That's fantastic. Mandy, that is in my notes. Well done. We did go to the same school. Bam. The unmerited favor of God. There's a great danger in pouring Christ into others and making disciples that it becomes about performance 
right? Like how, how much of a bet is there? And if you're investing in the younger generation, which hopefully you are, if you have children um, or grandchildren, so there's so much that's based on how they act, how they perform. That drives our discipleship. Um, as opposed to really a picture of grace being, we're going to grow in the reality that we're going to give people what they don't deserve. Growing in the reality of giving people what they don't deserve. Um, so there's a lot of different attempts that we make as, as disciple makers, as people that, are, that spend some time pouring in the next generation, that pour, pour into our kids. Um, we, we, we give them, um, you got to be self-confident, Right? Self-esteem, like, you know, you're a good kid, and you got a loving mom or dad, and like, you know, go to school and believe in yourself, and, and I'm not an entire, like, don't teach kids to have confidence. It's just not primary. It's the result of something, because Paul writes, if you look in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I put no confidence in the flesh. And as God's people, what's our confidence? What's our boast? The fact that we're loved and accepted and and the grace of God saves us. So what does that do? Then it pushes us to walk out in confidence. But it's not in the confidence of who I am and who I can be and what I can do. But it's in the confidence of who Jesus is, what he's done on my behalf, and then who I am in light of that. Um, I think we, uh, we push to the next generation materialism. So, so much is based on like, what, what you have around you and, and the, the stuff that you have and, and that that shows something about how hard you worked for something or physical image. And it's this pursuit of, of stuff. And again, there's nothing wrong with stuff. But when you understand grace, which we're going to dive into in a second, I think it changes the paradigm of our stuff. That man, get stuff, make lots and lots of money so that when you understand grace, then you can say, here's who Jesus is. So we got to teach our kids on this educational status that you got to go to school and you got to get a good education and blah, 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 blah. But what if they don't? Does that mean they're a failure? Does that mean they, they could do nothing with their life? No. No, because God loves taking jacked up people and saying, I've redeemed you and called you, and I'm going to do amazing things in and through your weakness and your brokenness and your perpetual poor choices. Because I ransom wicked, rebellious kids, and I call them mine. It's crazy. Crazy. Um, so I'm going to give you a book recommendation um, if you're interested in diving deeper into this. This is just probably my favorite book on my shelf. Actually, I can't find it right now. So if I loaned it out, it's not on my shelf. I can't find it. But um, my favorite book that used to be on my shelf that somebody stole um, or loaned it out and forgot. Um, it's called Give Them Grace. Dazzling Kids with the Love of Jesus. Um, and Elsie Fitzpatrick, listen to this, what she says about, about this, what we're talking about. She says, everything that isn't gospel is law. Every way we try to make our kids good that isn't rooted in the good news of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ is damnable, crushing, 
despair-breeding, Pharisee-producing law, we won't get the results we want from the law. We'll get either shallow self-righteousness or blazing rebellion or both. We'll get moralistic kids who are cold and hypocritical and who look down on others. Or you'll get teens who are rebellious and self-indulgent and who can't wait to get out of the house. We have to remember that in the life of our unregenerate kids, the law is given for one reason only, to crush their self-confidence and drive them to Christ. I pray that this morning that your self-confidence would be crushed in a way that would drive you to Christ. And then in a healthy way, drive you to give grace to your kids. Paul says, be strengthened by grace. Um, So I want to look into this question. How does grace strengthen you? Because if we don't understand this, I don't think we'll understand the passage. How, how does grace strengthen you? Um, so growing up, um, I didn't grow up in a grace culture. I didn't grow up in a grace home. Uh, I grew up in a home that was high demands, high standards. So I wonder when I got to high school and I got a 99 on a test, I thought, gosh, I missed 100. Because I could have done better. And in that culture, what it does is it pours down on you. You've got to be better. You've got to be better. You've got to be better. And I think that many of us, if we'd step back and look at how we invest in the next generation, so often that's the voice that we're telling them. You've got to be better. You've got to be better. Doggone it, you're five. You should have this life figured out. Uh, now, I've never said that, but sometimes the way I act and the way I treat my kids, that's probably what they're hearing. At least that's what I'm hearing, and that's what I'm broken over. And the brokenness of my own attempts to invest in my kids. But the gospel of grace says, you don't and never will measure up. You don't and you never will measure up. Stop trying. The life of Christ offered to you. The perfect life of Christ given to you in your rebellion, in your imperfection. Given to you. Elsie Fitzpatrick um, in another place in her book says this. At the deepest level of what we do as parents... We should hear the heartbeat of a loving, grace-giving father who freely adopts rebels and transforms them into loving sons and daughters. I mean, I wish there's aspects where when, when kids are young, they're just cute, and you have a lot of grace for them, and you just love them, and their mistakes are lovable and applaudable, right? Like you teach a kid, a kid's learning to walk, Okay? And they get up and, and then they take a step away from the couch and they fall down. They're like, what do you do? You take a picture, you post it on Instagram, you like call your spouse, you're like, yeah, she took a step. And she fell. Okay? You're not like, get up, you moron. <laughs> I mean, right? She liked that one. Like, right? You're not like, like, what are you doing? You got six other examples in the house. You need to study harder. 
Three steps next time. We're getting all the furniture out of the house, put them in a field, make them walk. No cheating. No. But yet, they grow up. And all of a sudden, their mistakes and their failures aren't cute anymore. And they should have figured it out. We come down on them with law, and we come down on them with force, and we come down on them like, did you figure this out? I feel like I'm looking into a mirror right here, talking to myself. Listen, you and I are rebels. God, the perfect God, looked down on you and on me. And here's what he did not say. Why don't you figure it out? And when you figure it out, you can come talk to me. Here's what he said. You will never figure it out. Ever. So I'm going to send the only kid I have down to pay the price for your jacked up life. And I'm going to save you. And I'm going to call you mine. Yeah, you see that rebel right there? Mine. That's why I love the scripture that says, God's not ashamed to call them their God. That's my child. I'm their God. He's not ashamed of us. He doesn't look like, you know, like, gosh, I hope no one knows they're mine. They're mine. They're absolutely mine. I love this word strengthened. So it says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. Really, literally the word strengthened means to cause someone to have the ability or to empower them. So here's like, we're talking about causing our kids to have the ability to, to, to see the kindness of Jesus. Empowering with kindness. Like, well, no, it just makes so much more sense if I just yell at them. And then they do what I want them to do. I just make it feel really bad, and then they'll do what I want them to do. But if you think about it, there's not a person in this room or a person on the planet that doesn't have a heart and a desire to be loved. I don't care how hard you are to life or to the world or how prideful or bigoted you are or I am in different areas of my life. Every single person on the planet is longing to be accepted and longing to be loved and desperately wants to to experience grace. Desperately. Desperately. So what would happen, just think about this for a second. What would happen in this room and in this church if we created a culture of grace? let's, Let's just make it way more personal. What would happen in your home How would the dynamics change if you said our one ambition is that our home would be a culture of grace? What would that do? Anybody? How would that change things? It'd be powerful. It'd be unbelievably powerful. A culture of forgiveness... 
Because there's no long-lasting relationships apart from forgiveness because when someone wrongs you, you're just gone. All the more in the family unit. Right? A culture of kindness. A culture of second chances. Or as we call them in my house, a culture of redos. culture where you're not defined by what you do or don't do, but whose you are. How would that change your home? Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, 18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. Like that's challenging, right? Right? Because it's like at any point where you feel like maybe there's a little bit in you you that's gracious towards others, you haven't arrived. Like where you understand the, you feel like you understand the grace of God and it leaves you prostrate and humbled before the Lord. You still have growing to do. You still have work to do. I still have work to do. Grow in grace. Here's what it means. It means to be more and more fruitful in grace. That more and more every day, the older we get, the older our kids get, more and more grace would flow out of our lives. More and more we would treat people how they don't deserve to be treated. Like, is that, is that hard for anybody? Because like, like, our natural bent is like, this is what you deserve. This is what, oh, you talk back to mom? Do you know what talking back to mom gets? Like, come here. This is what you get. This is what you deserve. But Peter says, grow in the grace. Grow more and more to giving people what they don't deserve. Because naturally, we're judgmental people. You know, it's like, it's like the, the comment, um, I don't know if you ever had this conversation with a child, but it's like, so let's talk about what you deserve. What do you think the punishment for what you did should be? Anybody, anybody done that? Okay, tell me I'm not the only parent that has this like, conversation. And not that that's bad. Not that, because I think that consequences are a natural part of life. We've got to teach our kids that there's consequences to their actions. We have to. But how often do we talk about, do you know what we deserve as people? You know what we deserve under the wrath of God? But yet here's what God offers in the person and work of his son, Jesus. Because here's what we do when everything is about the consequences of our choice. Is that we ingrain in the next generation fear-based decision making. It's like, I'm going to act this certain way because I'm afraid of what might happen if I don't. And then we just, we wonder why our kids are scared and why they're fearful and why they bow up. And uh, like, I don't want to be a part of an honest culture. I don't want to be a part of a culture where I'm known and... As opposed to understanding all the redos we have in Christ. All the grace that's offered in Christ. Another quote by Fitzpatrick says, The weaknesses, 
failures and sins of our family are the place where we learn that we need grace too. It is there in those dark mercies that God teaches us to be humbly dependent. It is there that he draws near to us and sweetly reveals his grace. Can I just, can I just kind of impart this? If you, do you ever struggle with yelling at your kids? Or being abrasive? Or be, belittling? So I've had moments where I, like, I say something and all of a sudden I'll stop and be like, I can't believe I just said that. Like just being belittling? Because I do. Um, James one twenty says this, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So like when we yell at kids, you know what we're doing? We're manipulating their behavior to act how we want it to act to make the situation better in that moment for us. We're not changing their heart. Well, we might be changing their heart, but all we're doing is we're hardening it to the truth of grace. And we're producing the righteousness of man. No, this is what you're going to do right now because you're an inconvenience to me. Gosh, God help me. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then the other thing that I think is huge is there's a tendency to look with judgment on the next generation. Like the old, like, and I felt that way as a kid, right? Like older generations that like, they looked at my generation like, you know, like, oh, you just don't get it. Like you haven't lived life. You haven't experienced life. Like you just don't get it. And when you, when you become an adult, then you'll understand, okay? As if that conversation is going to help them get it, right? No, what's going to help them get it is grace and grace that comes alongside and says, you know what? You're accepted and you're loved even though you're imperfect, even though you're imperfect. And the pervasive challenges that the next generation has growing up in a sexually perverse culture that's instantly accessible. Like many of us can't handle the boundaries of social media well. How is that going to go for the next generation? Grace. Because we don't do it well. So don't stand in judgment over the teenagers and the youth in your home or in the schools around you or in your kids' families, in your kids' homes. Come alongside them with grace and point them to Jesus. And then verse 2. And I want to wrap up with this. It says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace of that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here, here's the challenge. is How do we lead the next generation to not have a consumeristic faith? Right? Because we can bombard them with Jesus. We can bombard them with the gospel. Like you got to believe this. you got to hold this. you got to go to church. We can bombard them with these things. But how do we do it in such a way that they actually give it away? 
Because the difference between the immature and the mature, the difference between the boy and the man, the difference between the, the, the child, the little girl, and the, the woman is that you stop taking and you start giving. You want to know if you're mature? Do you just take or do you give? Because what God does in you and to you, he wants to do through you. And Paul says to young Timothy, he says, listen, what you've heard from me, the grace you've heard from me, entrust to others. Don't hoard it. Don't keep it. And here's what's crazy. And why, why I started out by talking about that song and talking about like the greatness of God is that when we understand how incredible God is apart from what we've done, like can anyone hold up their hand and say, I have a marvelous pursuit of God as to why I am where I am and who I, why I am who I am. And when I get to heaven, God's going to high-five me because I was so awesome for him. No. Not at all. But when you understand how amazing God is really in spite of you, what does that do? It pushes you to say, listen, son, listen, daughter, you got to see this. you got to see how amazing this God is. Grow in grace. Grow in giving it away. Because ingrained in every one of us in the, in, the, in the fiber of our fleshly being is I'm going to get for myself. At the damage of others, I'm going to get for myself and create what I want and what I need. And I'm convinced that the, the means by which we do that is we, stand in, we learn to stand in awe of the grace of God. And we grow in grace. And when we grow in grace, if we understand what grace is, all we can do is give it away. All we can do is go with it. Paul says that to Timothy, but grow. Or, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's pray. Let's prepare to bring up these families that are going to give their kids to the Lord. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you that when we were wretched and wicked and sinful and rebellious, you came and said, mine. And you offered forgiveness and grace to us. Father, would you grow our hearts to understand grace? Would you grow our hearts to understand the fact that you are forgiving and loving? And God, as we consider all that you are and all that you do today, and as we dedicate these kids, might we understand how gracious and loving and great you are. It's in your precious name we pray, amen.